Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The Bank of Canada raised its key interest rate to its highest level in 22 years, 4.75%. We have in the last, well, yesterday and then the weekend before, we've spoken to Canadians living in their cars. They're economically so stressed. They're living in their cars. And they're maybe not even being counted as being uh, unemployed or uh, receiving social assistance because they're still working to a certain extent. It's, it's a very troublesome reality. We talked to Bill in British Columbia yesterday, and we talked to Peter in British Columbia a week ago. And more and more Canadians have been saying, can't make all the payments now. If you have a variable rate mortgage, your mortgage rates have gone up likely dramatically. Food has gone up significantly. And as Sylvain Charlebois told us yesterday, for many Canadians, it's now the balance. What can we afford for food if we're going to be able to maintain the cost of our accommodations? We're joined by our great friend, Professor Eric Cam, macroeconomics professor at Toronto Metropolitan University. And Professor Cam, congratulations on being promoted to full professor. You earned that. Well, thank you very much, Roy. But that is very, very small potatoes um, as to what you have been through. And I think, if I may for a second, uh, I think that this period of illness that you fought through not only speaks to your mettle, but if you keep an eye on the media, social media especially, I think that you can now very much take your position as the voice and the conscience of this country. And I hope you just realize a, a fraction of the love that people have for you and the sigh of relief that your fans have to have you back. And I wanted to welcome you back personally. Thank you so much. And I will tell you, I uh, daily, I was uh, watching social media and I was on as much as I could be, there were days where I just didn't have the strength to do anything. It was a rough two months. But uh, what I saw from Canadians coast to coast absolutely shocked me. And I was, I was, I was, I'm, it's a humbling, and I'm, I, I mean this sincerely, it's a humbling experience. Because all I ever thought of myself was a guy going to work every day, or in this case, going to work, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays in the program, but I still work on the show Monday to Friday. But it was a humbling experience, and I thank everybody for the support. It just means, not only meant, but still means a great deal. I'm glad you said that. Uh, not that I'm the voice of Canada, but um, thank you so much. Professor um, Cam, so we have the highest Bank of Canada interest rate in 22 years, 4.75%. How do you interpret that and what that's going to mean to the Canadian who's trying to fit in the bills, the mortgages, the food, the kids going to school, all of the extracurricular activities, buying gas for the vehicles. How are we going to fare with interest rates going up and the inflation rate still climbing? Well, that's that's the problem, Roy. And the answer is, of course, nothing positive. Uh, the Bank of Canada reacts to macro indicators, and they tend to be what's called leading, which means that they look at those indicators and say that they're giving us a view, a window of what's going to happen in the next few months. And specifically, the two that they're looking at right now are that notwithstanding all of that they have done since the pandemic, you still have gross domestic product, the score of this country trending upward, and you still have the consumer price index 
trending upward. So the bank comes in and says, well, if GDP is going up and the aggregate price level is going up, then I guess we're not finished our job. And so they want to throw a little bit more cold water on the economy. I mean, your question is very important. I'm on the record, for whatever that's worth, as stating that I would not have raised the interest rate any higher. And simply put, for two reasons. Number one, it has not. The inflation that we have seen has not yet gone through the labor market. And I'm holding my breath for what happens when it hits the labor market. People may have seen this week, there was a slight decrease in the demand for labor. And I'm terrified that that's going to turn into a large demand uh, decrease for yep. labor. Yep. And so it's the job market that I'm I'm looking at. But if you look at the housing market, which really, you know, as the housing market goes, so too goes our economy. I was quite stunned to see this week that estimates are between only 18 and 20 percent of all Canadian mortgages have had to be renegotiated in the past year. 20 percent, Roy. So we're still at 80 percent. Four out of five mortgages that exist in this country still have to be renegotiated. And I'm terrified for that family that has to renegotiate and watch their mortgage payments almost double. Because it is, as you said, in an industrialized country, food should not be the residual of what we do with our money. But for too many people, Roy, we're getting there. Yeah. And uh, you know what worries me as well is uh, when people's loans come due or their loan payments are too large for them to make or lines of credit and credit card debt, all of that starts to add up as far as the individuals and individual families are concerned. And that's an additional weight. Professor Cam, when I drive through my neighborhood, I'm seeing for sale signs on lawns or for rent signs on lawns. There was nothing like that a few months ago. No, no. And this is my fear is that you're going to start to see more and more of these things as that 80% who in theory have been unaffected by inflation in the housing market become affected by inflation in the housing market. And we know that that's compounded by, I mean, inflation is the one statistic that is in everybody's face. You see it when you go to any store and spend any amount of money. I mean, the, the number of goods for which prices are up and up significantly is a majority of those goods in our society. And sadly, of course, the ones that are counted in core inflation, not the least of which is, is food. And so we're at a very dangerous time right now and I hope that people remember, I know that the Canadian population is smarter than their government sometimes thinks. And I hope that they remember the pandemic and what happened after the pandemic and the level of monetary stimulus that happened after the pandemic, because it's very, very in right now to blame the Bank of Canada for failing to do their job. Well, they are failing to do their job because their job is to keep inflation at 2%. But what they were handed by our government in terms of poor monetary policy poor monetary planning, and now quantitative tightening, I don't know what people think the Bank of Canada could have done any better. Again, would I have raised rates? No. I think now is a very tenuous time that they should have held rates exactly where they were, at least through this calendar year. But the bank is obsessed with inflation. That's nothing new. Nobody cared about that when the target and the reality was 2%. But now, Roy, we're creeping up again 6%, 7%. And I hope that Canadians have their hands tightly fixed upon their wallets and keep their spending to a minimum until this passes. Yeah. And the parliamentary budget officer was on the program last weekend, and I asked him about the carbon tax, and he said ultimately it's going to hurt those 
who can least afford it, and the clean fuel regulations also will disadvantage those who are at the lowest or lower end of the economic scale. Now, the federal government challenged him and said his his his, his report was unbalanced, particularly Stephen Gilbo said that about him, or Gilbo, Gilbo. And uh, the PBO said, well, look, <laughs> the information that we received that the report was based on came from his ministry. So what are they talking about? I, I like uh, Yves Giroux. As, as you know, he's been on the show many times. Um, do you know what I heard from Bill and from Peter living in their cars in uh, British Columbia? Uh, Bill's been doing it for a year and a half with his wife. They're both employed, but they can't afford to rent accommodations. They just can't afford it. And Peter's been doing it for four weeks, and it, it's tough on them. But they also said there are more and more people doing this. They find almost small communities, Professor Cam, of people living in their cars who gather somewhere uh, and on, on, a, on any given night. And if this phenomenon, and they expect the phenomenon to grow, if this is happening, that to me is another bit of a, the tip of the iceberg, and it's, it's being noted um, what do you say to that? Anomaly or, or something to be concerned about? Something to absolutely be concerned about. There is no such thing really as an anomaly, Roy, as it affects human beings. You know, this is the problem in a lot of academia today. And if my colleagues are listening, they're going to vomit. But we, tr- we, we, we work in abstract terms and abstract mathematics and sometimes forget that we're talking about real people, real lives, real families, and real children. I did a little bit of crunching of inflation this week because there's kind of three types of inflation that people try to talk about in economics. One is called sectoral, one is called demand, one is called expectations. What are they about? I don't want to put your audience in a coma, so we don't have to delve too deep. But the point is, is generally an inflationary cycle, one or two of these types of inflation are rampant. We have all three. We have all three types of inflation. Goods and services have gone up. There's pent up money that people are spending like crazy. And then there's the expectations that inflation is only going to continue. And that pushes up wage expectations and then wage contracts. And then the whole spiral begins again. So what is the result of this? Well, there's lots. But I think the first and the most important one is credit. The amount of credit in an economy gets cut and cut significantly. So that people that need access to credit the most don't have it. And this makes me really sad because I heard the people on your show talking about these living conditions. And you kind of want to say this is a blip on the economic radar, Roy, but it's not a blip. I mean, to what what do we hold on to to think that inflation isn't going to continue because it is the labor market isn't going to weaken because it is. And so sadly, sadly, and I'll say it again. There's only one thing to do if you are a consumer and a homeowner right now, and that is to please downgrade your expectations of your life in terms of its economic life, no conspicuous spending, start to save, and make sure you have enough for that rainy day. Because, Roy, that rainy day isn't months or years away now. It's weeks away for a good chunk of the Canadian population, and I'm very sorry to say that. What are your students thinking and saying? Oh, that's simple. My students have one question and one question alone. They say, Dr. Cam, am I ever going to afford a house in the GTA? And my answer to them is probably not. And they turn to me for um, lighthearted, you know, uh, discussion sometimes and to tell them that their lives are good. And I do tell them that their lives are good. They're wonderful young people. They're studious. They're smart. 
but they have to look at reality and they see these numbers. Am I going to have a one and a half million dollar down payment for a house? And I try to tell them, you know, the good news is you'll probably start living an hour away, an hour and a half away from the GTA and then make your way toward the center of the city. But their number one question is housing. They see their parents struggling and they ask, is their struggle going to be continued? And is it going to be better or worse? And because I never, ever lie to your audience or students, we know it's only going to get worse. And so that makes me really sad. But I think the only thing sadder would be to lie to them. Let them know that this is their economic reality and so that they can start to prepare for it now. So when it comes to governments and particularly the federal government and this federal government, would uh, and, and we've talked about this before, but I've been gone for a couple of months, so I'd like to know what you're thinking today. Would one of the most logical steps continue to be cut the taxes, reduce the taxes, and do it now? Well, unless you're a rampant Marxist, it's really the only answer. The only thing that you can do for these people who are holding on to their homes or not even living in a home is increase their disposable income. Yeah. And I've only found one or two ways of doing that. One of them is to win a lottery. And that doesn't happen very often, and nor should you believe it is. And number two is to put more money into people's pockets. And I think we can do that two ways. Number one is to cut taxes, get rid of this idiotic carbon tax and anything related to it, because I don't care how much you love this green agenda. You don't love it more than sleeping in a bed in a house with a roof. So I'm sorry to those people on the far left, but you just don't. And number two, as a country, it is time to start exploiting our comparative advantages. And those lie, lie in things like resources and oil. Start producing, stop buying, and maybe give the next generations a chance, Roy. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.